studying end times as I've shared with you and, and I especially love studying the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel and what I want to share with you is my understanding from these books. Now, there is a lot of confusion out there concerning the book of Revelations. So much so that there are certain Christians that are actually afraid to even read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelations is the final chapter of our story here on earth. This book tells us how it's all going to end. It describes the end of this age and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It describes the beginning of the next age where he rules his kingdom on earth, the millennium reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells you how that age closes, how the devil is loosed, and how the final judgment takes place at the white throne judgment and the second resurrection of the dead, where the dead that have not saved will be raised and judged. And it tells us how mankind is now going to be split in two and spend eternity. Those who accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with him forever in heaven, the new heavens and new earth, and those that have rejected the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross are going to be judged at the white throne judgment and thrown into the lake of fire to be with the devil in torment for eternity with the devil and his angels. Genesis, the book of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters, is the beginning of our story. And that's why you have such an attack against these two books. Genesis tells us where it all began and what happened. And Revelation tells us how it's going to end. And that's why you have such an attack, especially on the first 11 chapters, especially on chapter 6 of Genesis, where so much happened there that the, 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 the world powers don't want you to know what happened in Genesis chapter 6 because it gives you an understanding of the seed war that has been taking place between Genesis and the book of Revelation. In Genesis, we see the beginning of creation. We see mankind being created. We see sin coming into the world. We see Satan coming in with his angels to deceive mankind and create a race of hybrids in Genesis chapter 6 and release technology into the world that currently all archaeology from the world are trying to hide. Because they know, if you know and understand that there were giants on the planet and they had empires and built um, cities where, 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 where some of those buildings are still around today, if they knew that you knew that, and if you knew that, you'd have a different perspective on the Word of God. Genesis tells us how civilization began, the good part and the bad part. Genesis tells us of God's plan of redemption implemented there. It tells us of the war of the seeds, the, the, the seed of Adam and the seed of Satan. We get introduced to characters in the book of Genesis and all through the Bible that teaches us their patterns and behaviors and events which will be repeated as, it come, as we come into these last days. We see in their stories patterns of how our, our stories are going to unfold. In Revelation, we see the introduction of the new heaven and the new earth. We see the ultimate destiny of mankind. We see the ultimate judgment on sin. We see the ultimate judgment on sinners and their destination. The end of civilization on this planet. The end of this planet. The creation of the new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and the ultimate culmination of God's plan of redemption where those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior 
will be in that creation together with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Those who've rejected it will be judged at the white throne and cast into the lake of fire to be with the devil and his angels forever in the place of torment. So no wonder the devil hates this book. Because this book articulates so clearly exactly all his moves in the next during that seven year period. It tells you exactly what he's going to do. It tells you exactly how he's going to be defeated. It tells you exactly how he's going to be bound, how many years he's going to be bound. And it tells you his exact destiny. The world hates this book. Babylon hates this book. The Babylonians hate this book because this book shows them in chapter 17 and 18 how they lose. They lose. Jesus wins. And so Christians should actually love this book. Because it's a book that tells us of our homecoming. It's a book that tells us of our ultimate destiny in eternity. It gives us a picture of what life is going to be like there. It tells us of, of, of our rewards. It tells us of our triumphs in Him. Revelation is a book of hope. Revelation 22, 12-17. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit says to the bride, come. And let those who hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of life, come. What we're going to be doing is going through this book. And uh, we're going to be looking at selective passages of Scripture, selective verses of Scripture, and basically tying them to other chapters and verses and visions in other books. What I do when I study Revelation is the first end times is I, the first thing I do is I look at the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say about His coming? And and I've given you the graft and I've I've set it up for you that this is how I think things are going to unfold. And I've put you onto that graph where across you've got an event timeline and down you've got the description of the events as laid out in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. What I'm going to do now is, as we get deeper into Revelation, not the first two sessions, not the session and the next session, what we're going to do is we are going to now build onto that table. As we build onto that table, hopefully it's going to give you a filter on which you can now base your further education and study on the subject of the return of Jesus. So, for example, you can go out and you can examine what people are saying and you can filter it through the word, the events and the event description and chuck out the garbage, chuck out the propaganda, chuck out the misinformation, chuck out the false doctrine and you can stick in and, and find the truth and that will build up your picture of what is going to take place as we enter into the second coming when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Let's briefly look at Revelation chapter 1. Now, 
I want to give you a brief understanding of Revelation chapter 1. We're not going to go into chapter 2 and 3 because that deals with the letters and I've covered that in various different teachings in discipleship, etc. Next session is going to be, for me, the most important session of the book of Revelation. The most important chapters of the book of Revelation are chapters 4 and 5. And I'll explain that when I get there. But, f- but to, f- for me to understand chapters 4 and 5, I need to understand the vision of Jesus that John the Apostle sees when he turns around. So let's begin in Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you the first three verses. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Apocalypse. I love end time stuff. I love apocalyptic movies. I love watching them all. But remember, I filter them all through what I'm going to be giving you over the next couple of weeks and months. Now, let's look at the word apocalypse. Now, the book of Revelation is sometimes called the apocalypse. You get apocalyptic writing from the Jewish scholars as well, where they, they the in-between, intertestament period between the Old and New Testaments, a lot of books were written called apocalyptic books. And some were accurate, not included in the Word of God, and some were not accurate at all. But what we're going to be looking at is just what's, at this particular point, what's in the Word of God. Um and Revelation is one of those type of literature forms. It's an apocalyptic book. Now, it begins with these words. The revelation from Jesus Christ. So, this book is not a revelation about Jesus Christ. It is a revelation that comes and is given from Jesus Christ. He is the one giving the revelation. Now the Greek word, now excuse me for my pronunciation, I'm not a linguistic scholar by any means. The Greek word for revelation is apokalypsi. comes from two words, apo and kalapsi. Apo meaning away from and kalapsi availing. So the meaning for apocalypse, apokalypsi, Greek meaning, is an unveiling, a revealing. So let's look at that phrase in chapter 1, the first section of chapter 1, again, Revelation chapter 1. And it's NIV. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now let's add in the word an unveiling and a revealing. The revelation, an unveiling, a revealing from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That is exciting because when we come to the blessing part, there's the first level of blessing that I'm going to see, but the second level of blessing that I see is that Jesus himself is giving us an unveiling, a glimpse, a picture into the future with regards to his return. 
This is important for you to understand when you study end times from my perspective, from a biblical point of view. Whenever I talk about end times, I'm primarily talking about when Jesus comes. All of the events around the coming of Jesus is all dependent on the return of Jesus. Now, when you go out onto the internet to study various people, oftentimes I'm hearing uh, the, the, this is what the enemy is doing. This is what, yes, they're planning this. Yes, they're going to be trying to implement this. And I'll, and I'll explain that under the four horsemen. But what you've got to understand is, especially from Genesis chapter 4 and 5, nothing transpires that doesn't have the stamp of approval and permission from Jesus Christ. And that's why it's crucial for you to have an understanding of the vision of who Jesus is here and an understanding of chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. Jesus is telling us, and it's a blessing, it's an advantage to us about what is going to take place. And if we are alert and watchful and we have this grid reference, we can then begin to identify trigger points for which we need to be alert for so that we can get ready and get prepared and do what we have to do and what the Lord has revealed to us to do. Coming back to this word, Paul uses the same word. So I'm going to give you a couple of different uh, points here with regards to this word and the meaning of this word. Now, Paul uses it two, twice. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in unknown tongues, how shall I make it to your advantage unless I speak to you either in revelation, there it is, an unveiling, a revealing, a disclosure of God's will to mankind, in knowledge or in prophecy or in instruction. That's amplified. Now, Galatians 1.12 also amplified. For indeed, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came to me through a direct revelation, an unveiling, a revealing given by Jesus Christ the Messiah. So, more often than not, when I see this word, apocalypse or apocalypse, or revelation. Generally speaking, for me, it is God revealing to me or to man certain aspects of the mysteries of God, especially as it relates to the comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the first coming, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 16.25 and Ephesians 3.3. It's also used of the revelation of the power and holiness of God, which we're going to see evident in the last days. Uh, listen to these scriptures, but I want you to notice the mindset. There's going to be an unveiling of judgment. Romans 2.5 NIV But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now remember, we took, we've just come out of the chapter, Romans chapter 1, now we're in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1 deals with what people are going to be like in these last days. And now here they are storing up a wrath for the day of God's wrath. And it's important for you to begin to understand that God's wrath is coming upon the planet as well as Satan's wrath. And we'll be talking about that as we get into the book of Revelation. In 1 Peter 1, 7, it's for the Christian, it's going to be an unveiling of praise and glory. 
So those, uh, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's grace. It has to do with grace. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. This is important for you, you to understand that you know we, we've been praying for the coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and then, then people get a little bit frightened when they see what's going to take place around the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you've got to remember is Jesus relates the coming to labor pains or seismology. At the end of the labor, the baby is born. So when Jesus comes, we're going to go through a horrific period of upheaval as he uproots and deals with Satan and the entrenched satanic kingdom of Babylon that prevails the earth and the people of the earth as well. So when you see this time frame coming upon you, right, 1 Peter 1.13, with minds that are fully alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It talks about joy, be, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Let's go to verse 3, blessings. This is a book that blesses you. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. Now, as I've said, a, a layer of blessing for me is this book gives me an understanding of what to look for, what trigger events to look for, and so prepare myself and my family with regards to what we need to be doing during that period of time. So that's a blessing to me. It's a foreknowledge. It's an unveiling that Jesus, Jesus Christ has given to me. And so I study this uh, as, as much as I possibly can. In this verse of scripture, there are three blessings promised to three groups of people. The person who reads it, and this is like a person like myself. It's not for not, not, not indicating the private reader, although you will be blessed reading it privately by yourself. But it's someone who reads this publicly in the presence of a group of people, a congregation. The second group are those who hear it. Now, it's a privilege to hear the Word of God. It's a privilege to have the Word of God in our own language. People have died to pay a price for that. And it's a privilege that we've had it. I mean, in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic clergy used to keep the Word of God from people. They didn't want them to read it. I mean, people died translating the Bible into the English language from the church. So to hear the Word read publicly and openly without persecution is truly a blessing. But to hear specifically this particular book that will give you information about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, detailed information, it should be an especial blessing for you because it will enable you to prepare yourself and your family for those events if you happen to be in the time, living in the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third group of people are the people who actually take it to heart. Remember knowledge uh, understanding and wisdom that I've been going on about. So the people that have the wisdom, the people that take it in, understand it, know it, understand it, and the people that actually apply it to their lives. 
These are the ones that are going to be truly blessed. Now, the first thing you need to learn about the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ is our risen Savior, glorified Lord, and soon coming King. Revelation is an unveiling. It is a revealing. It is a disclosure of something that was previously hidden and concealed. In one of the foundations I spoke to you about as we get closer to the prophetic event happening, more and more revelation and signs and speeding up is going to take place with regards to that event. Now, with regards to coming closer and closer to that event, another thing is going to take place. The closer we get to the event, the more revelation, the more unveiling, the more disclosure is going to be given to those who are the saints of God, to those who are watching, to those who are alert. The closer we get to this event, the less revelation, the less unveiling, the less disclosure are going to be given to those in the apostate church, in the world, those who follow the enemy and those Christians who are negligent in terms of the warnings of Jesus Christ to be watchful and alert for his return. This book is about Jesus, his return, and his reign. It's all about Jesus. And we need to be excited about this because if we as disciples are preaching the gospel of the kingdom, this book is going to show us how that kingdom is going to be implemented on this planet. Let's move on. We're going to look at the vision of Jesus as John recorded it in verses 8 to 20 of Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read that out of the NRV. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ones in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. Essentially, what I want to do now is I want to look at this vision of who Jesus is. I'm not going to go to go into it in depth, but I'm just going to go into it and give you the, the, the picture 
And what I want you to do is I want you to meditate on this vision. I want you to think about it. And I want you to build a picture of who Jesus actually is right now. Not the Gnostic Jesus that we speak about in the Deception in the Church series. Not the Jesus of the first coming, but the Jesus of right now. In verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Now, the Alpha and the Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And what the Lord is saying here is, I have complete control over everything. I am the first word, I am the last word. I was there at the beginning and I'll be there at the end. And it signifies his control of everything. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus says, Jesus Christ, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this further confirms that he has control over the past, the present and the future. Who is, who was, who is to come the Almighty, and you can look at verse chapter 4, verse 8, and chapter 11, verse 17. So Jesus is the originator of all things and the terminator of all things. Omnipotent is the word. All-powerful, that word means. That's, that's, that's what that word means. He is omnipotent. He is the one who will implement what he speaks. So if he speaks prophetically, he will implement it in a future way. And John also attaches the word Almighty to him. And that is a key name of God in the book of Revelation. And you will see it come up in, the, in, in these following chapters, uh, verses. Chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 11, verse 17. Chapter 15, verse 3. Chapter 16, verse 7. And verse 14. Chapter 19, verse 6 and 15. And chapter 21, verse 22. The Almighty. The whole point of this introduction is to give you a picture of who is coming back. This is my view. It's all about Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. This is, it, 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 for me, it's all building to this particular passage of Scripture. We pray for it. Let your kingdom come. We preach it. Preach the, the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now this is, what it, this is what it will actually look like. And so John gets a vision of what this is going to look like. And quite a few prophets also get a vision of, of, of this event. So eventually you'll see in the table, I'll put this event at the end of the table of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will build up the other prophetic words to give you a picture of how earth shattering, awesome, and terrifying this event is, especially when this person rides out. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So John turns around to see the person who actually gave him the commission. And this is what he describes. So we need to understand who this person is because this person is Jesus. This person is Jesus returning, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. A magnificent person clothed in fine linen, a long robe standing among seven lampstands. Now this robe is going to, I'm going to show you, signifies both a priestly role and a judicial role. Verse 13, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Now what I want you to notice is that the sash, the golden sash, is around his chest. So the man looked like a son of man. Now we get that expression, that expression is, 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 comes from also Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What I would like to do is apply that scripture to Genesis chapter 4 and 5, that picture of, or not Genesis, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, I beg your pardon. But let's move on to just, I want you to see the Son of Man picture, where it comes from, and I want to talk about the, the, the golden sash. Daniel chapter 3 verse 25, the king says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, I know some people have got a problem with that translation, but as the Son of God, it is actually Jesus. But you've got to remember, a pagan king was saying that. Daniel chapter 10, verse 5 to 6, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like, a light, like lightning, his eyes like a flaming torch, his arms and legs like the gleamed and of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Acts seven fifty six. look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Son of Man was one of the most favorite titles of Jesus in the Gospels. Mark 13, 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in great in clouds with great power and glory. So the person John sees is like a human, like a human man. And he was dressed in the clothes of a priest and a long robe and a gold sash. Now, Jesus is our high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, those long robes were 
indicative of people with authority. Long white robes of linen. You can read Ezekiel 9, 2, and you can go and read Daniel chapter 10, verse 5. Now, in, in this particular passage, verse 13 of Revelation chapter 1, we see Jesus dressed in that robe of authority that was worn by both a priest and a judge. The position of the sash indicated in what role the person wearing the robe was operating in. In this particular passage, it's indicating that he was in a judicial role, not a priestly role. A priest would have girdled his, uh, put, the, put it around his, his, his middle, his waist, because doing that signified service. When it was over the shoulder or on the breast, it signified a magisterial function. John chapter 13, let's just compare the two here. There's two passages of scripture with regards to two, Jesus wearing a robe and angels wearing, a, not the robe, the golden sash, and angels wearing a golden sash. In John chapter 13, verse 25, it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Service. Jesus came First coming, service. You can read that in the book of Philippians. Service, the attitude of Jesus as the priest, the sacrifice, the service, the servant. In Revelation 15 verse 6, we see the angels carrying out the golden, the, 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 the plague. So out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Okay, so this was a, a significant picture of, of, of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is not coming in a priestly role. He's coming to judge. He's coming to wage war. He's coming to destroy the works of the devil. We'll talk about that in Daniel. I think it's chapter 9 where you look at what the uh, Daniel's weeks were given, what they, the 70 weeks of Daniel, what they are for. So in this vision we need to begin to understand exactly why Jesus is coming, who is coming and why he is coming. And we can pick this out by different aspects. Um, another interesting uh, aspect of who Jesus is, is, is his hair. Verse 14, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. Now, the description of this can be found also in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, which is a description of God the Father. Now, this is just by the way. If you ever want to really get under the skin of a Jehovah Witness and, and, and get them out of, your, your, out of a discussion fast, you want to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, ask them to read in their Bible, which has been changed into linear translation, Ask them to read Revelation chapters 8 to 20 and ask them to describe what they're reading and who it is they're reading, especially verse 14. Ask them to say, okay, now who is this? And they will tell you that it's Jesus. But it's obvious it's Jesus. 
Then get them to read Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 out of their own Bible and ask them to describe who this is. And I'm telling you now, the, 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 the leader of the two will grab the apprentice and get them out so fast you won't see them again for quite a while. Daniel 7 verse 9, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. White hair represents the wisdom and the dignity, and John referred the images of God the Father in the Old Testament to Jesus Christ which shows us the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, chapter 2, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 12, chapter 22, verse 13. And so what he is saying here is Jesus is God. There's an equality here. And this references his eternal pre-existence. His eyes were similar, blazing with fire pointing, piercing judgment, omniscient understanding, exactly the same as God the Father. And read that in chapter 2 verse 18 and chapter 19 verse 12. And you can compare that for Daniel 10, 6. You can look at it Mark 3, 4, 5 verse 34, chapter 10 verse 21 in Mark, chapter 10 verse 23 Mark, chapter 11, 11 in Mark and Luke 22, 61. Go and read those passages of scripture and really gain an understanding of of who this is. His feet were like bronze glowing in furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Chapter uh, verse 15. Real pointing to purity as he moves amongst the churches, and the authority in which he speaks is irresistible. The power is just irresistible. When he begins to speak, I mean, the very fabric of the foundation shifts because the Creator of the universe is speaking. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. I love the first section here. I love everything but I love the first section here where in his right hand he has the seven stars. For me it talks of complete control over every aspect and element of the universe. Seven signifying completeness and the seven stars for me is the universe and, and he's holding it there, symbol of honor, symbol of sovereignty, protecting the universe in his right hands. And here walking amongst the seven uh, candlesticks as well. I, I, just, I just absolutely love the picture. And when he speaks, his words just cut everything and it just bears everything open. And he's going to judge his enemies with the words he speaks. He's just going to judge us as well. Now, what I want you to understand about the book of Revelation and Jesus' coming and Jesus coming as the judge with a sash over his shoulder or over his chest is that primarily in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ appears as judge. Let me show you. He judges the church, chapters 2 and 3. He judges the whole earth, chapters 4 to 16. He judges the Babylonian system of the devil, 17 and 18. He judges the rulers of the world at Armageddon, chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. He judges Satan, 
chapter 20, verse 1 to 3 and verse 10. He also judges the earth during the millennium reign, chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. The, he judges the rebellious earth and the people of the earth at the end of the millennium reign, chapter 20, verse 7 to 9. And then he judges all the unsaved dead at the white throne judgment in chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. So the first 20 chapters of this book deal with judgment. Jesus coming back to earth to set everything in order. And the last two chapters deal with future eternity, the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation. Let's move on. Verse 17. When I saw, uh, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I love this picture. Um, when he appears to Daniel, when he appears to Paul, when he appears to the disciples of the transfiguration, Daniel chapter 10, verse 7 to 9, again, face planted. Uh, verse 9, then I heard him speaking and, I, and, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Uh, Paul had a similar experience at the Damascus Road. Boom, fell to the ground when he heard the voice. We saw the light, heard the voice. Um, What's interesting I find with this picture is that the authoritative hand, the right hand with all the stars in controlling everything like that, that hand for me, that hand of power, that's the hand that actually reaches out and touches them on the shoulder and says, listen, get up. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love it. I absolutely love it. Verse 18, I'm the living one. I was dead and now, I'm, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and hold the keys of death and Hades. And then verse 19, write therefore what you have seen. And I'll come back to that in a second now. So what Jesus does is he introduces himself as the self-existent eternal one. He comes to John and he says, I'm the self-existent eternal one. I'm God. And there are three things here. I am so you can see that in the Gospels where Jesus relates him, connects himself to, to the Father, Yahweh. So you, if you're looking, if you want to do that comparison, Mark 14 to, Matthew 14, 27, Mark 6, 50, and John 6, 20, and 8, 58. And you can connect them with Exodus 3, 14, and Isaiah 48, 12. I am. So I am connects him with Yahweh. First and the last essentially is the same as Alpha and Omega. And then the third one is the beginning and the end. And all three of these titles stress the eternal sovereignty of God. And then he comes along and says, don't be afraid. I love it. I just absolutely love the heart of God. I mean, when I see him, I'm probably going to be terrified. And, 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 and I know that his heart is going to reach out to me. And with that hand carrying the very power of the universe. You're going to touch him on the shoulder and say, David, hey, come on, get up. It's all right. You can look at me. That's going to be awesome. So Jesus also presents himself as the resurrected one. He has authority over the state of the dead and he has authority over the place of the dead. So when he breaks open the, I think it's the third seal, the first seal is the Antichrist war and then the seal of plague and death. Uh, the fourth seal, the, the, the pale horseman, the, he releases Hades. He releases the, the, the death because he has power over them. He has authority over them. Now, 
I like to try and get into the minds of people, not for nefarious reasons, but just to try and begin to understand what they're thinking. So here is John, old old John. He was the beloved disciple. He put his head on the on the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ, leant on him, beloved teacher of Galilee, and uh, now he hears a voice that's like thunder, but there's a similarity in the voice. So he turns around, and can you imagine thinking he's turning around to see Jesus of Nazareth, but he's the Lamb of God, but he's actually turning around and he sees Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, in an entirely different light. It's powerful. And then Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, hey, get up, and then continues giving him instruction in verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place. So Jesus repeats his instruction to John from verse 11 to write what it got what what this is what i'm revealing to you continue to write and we 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 resuming where we left off and so he gives john further instructions and this particular verse of scripture gives us a very very broad and brief outline for the whole book of revelation so you can divide the book of revelation into three sections as indicated in this verse of scripture Verse 19, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So some of what John was to record, he had already seen. So that was the man that was standing in the seven golden lampstands with the seven stars in his hand, verses 12 to 16. Then he had to address specific situations regarding the state of the church at the time at his time in his time and that's chapters 2 and 3 and then from chapters 4 to 22 deals with the revelation the unveiling the disclosure of all the things and that, that are going to take place that that, that that that's going to be coming into the future Right, let's end off with verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus gives us a description of what that means and there's a couple of different meanings and you can go and read about that elsewhere. I don't want to get too much into that, uh, but just leave it there um, that the mystery is revealed and oftentimes you will see that scripture will reveal itself within a few verses of scripture, either before or after a revelation that has been given. And so Jesus says, this is the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Now, next session is going to be chapter 4 and 5. And as I've indicated to you earlier, for me personally, this is my foundation stone from which I study end times. And this, to me, are the two most important chapters of the book of Revelation. Thank you. Thank you.